main activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eerie Americas. This is one of your hosts, Christy Hull. And this is your other host, Vicky Ayala. And I hope you guys are having a fabulous nor'easter if you're from the East Coast. I myself woke up to negative three degrees out here, so it started here, but we didn't get so much snow. I think it's heading towards you guys. It just has not stopped snowing in New York. We had 16 inches recently, and then it snowed like a little bit, and then I woke up yesterday, and there was a whole little dusting of snow. Meanwhile, everyone always thinks of Colorado. They think of snow and cabins and this and that. Denver's scared because we haven't gotten enough. We're afraid of a drought this year. So I am fiending for some snow. So this weekend is supposed to hit and I'm like, bring it on. But I know we have, um, we both were binging pretty hard this week. And there were two docs we wanted to talk about, the famous docs everyone's talking about right now. The first one being the New York Times investigation on Britney Spears, framing Britney Spears. And um, I have a lot to say about that, but so did everybody. And I think all we can do is A, apologize to Brittany. I don't think looking back at the time, you know, we were in our early 20s when all that was going on. And so was she, weirdly enough. Yeah, Brittany's only uh, four years, four or five years older than us. So she's only a few years older than us. And she I never was a huge fan of hers. And I always looked at her as like just another pop star, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me. But when I became a fan of hers was actually when she hooked up with Kevin Federline. And everyone always thinks that's weird, but it was actually because I always thought she looked like a manufactured Barbie doll. Everything she said, everything she did, every motion she, she made. She was. Now we've learned that she was a manufactured Barbie doll. When she lost it, I actually gained respect for her. But I certainly didn't stop others from doing it, and I certainly didn't defend her the way I should have. We all owe Brittany an apology. Everyone. Everyone who ever made, a, made fun of her, used her as a meme. Everybody needs to be sorry. Now everybody is talking about mental health and it is really, it's good and it's very important, but we weren't there for her when she needed us to defend her. And a lot of things were said at her expense and um, it was very, it was incredibly unfair. And I, I'm glad that Justin Timberlake apologized today because he really needed to, as much as I love Justin, I can admit that he was completely wrong and he needed to apologize to her and to Janet Jackson. I'm glad that it kind of came to the forefront because think about, all the other NSYNC members or any other band member who made it, only him because he literally stepped on people. So I think it's important that he acknowledge that, at least that. I don't think it's that people overlooked it. It's that men just get to do that. Men just get to not face the consequences of their actions ever. Yeah. And so I'm glad that he's getting backlash, even though it's been all this time. Eventually it was going to hit you. As your song said, what goes around comes around, my friend. Yeah, so I'm sure it wasn't easy to apologize, and I'm glad that he did it. I hope he also reached out personally and apologized, because just putting it on social media isn't a real apology if you didn't actually reach out to the And Britney doesn't run her own social media, so she's not going to yeah, see it. Yeah, so, and that's pretty much all we're going to say about it. Everybody just apologized to Britney. But the doc we really want to talk about, we've been posting a lot about it on our social media. As you guys know, Christy covered a uh, part of the um, Alisa Lamb story in season one, episode 10, Unmitigated Chaos. If you haven't listened, or even if you have, go re-listen to it. Netflix just did a documentary. I finished it in a day. Christy was making fun of me. We haven't talked about it with each other. So I actually don't know if we feel the same way about the doc. So the documentary was more about the hotel than anything, which I get. I'm glad that they talked about that part of LA because I feel like people think of LA as this big glamorous place and they're completely ignore the fact that there's this huge area 
where it's not so nice. And I'm glad that that was addressed there. I'm glad that gentrification was addressed there because that's something that happens over here in Brooklyn, in New York. And I'm glad that they're addressing it. They had a lot of information. A lot of it I already knew because of Christy. Some of it I didn't because I feel like some information probably wasn't available to people and only came out in this documentary because it's a documentary and the people involved in the case are involved in. I was totally on board until the end. I don't like that they spent the whole time telling you all the facts of the case and leading you to believe there's something weird about it just to at the end convince everyone that she committed suicide. I really did not. I I wasn't for the ending at all. Okay, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly how I felt. One of the things that bothered me because I was expecting something new to come forward the entire time because what we do on this podcast is we state the fact. We might talk about our own opinions, but that's about it. We don't take anybody else's conspiracy and move them into our own Unless episode. Unless it was made part of the case, exactly. you won't hear it. I approached it very factual-based. And what bothered me about it was that they put Morbid on there. Because I did run across that gentleman. And I just felt like it wasn't necessary to say. And it felt like when they first showed him and they ended it with him looking all like goth into the camera, they were setting it up to make him look like a killer. And this guy is just an innocent person who sings metal. So I felt like in a weird way, it was like bullying somebody again. He did it. They did it again. I feel, yeah, I feel like if your point was for us to realize that what was done to him was wrong, absolutely do that. Cause he was called the killer. It ruined his career, but then you still made him look what were you trying to do? Right. Were you trying to get us to see what they saw and then try to change our minds? Because I feel like that's what they did. They showed us all of this stuff and then try to get you to change your mind. And I know that there's plenty of people who still think that what happened to her is weird, myself included. And then they just showed the, pe- the few people who like their minds have changed because the documentary, all of the information shown to them was information already out there. Were these really people who were who thought that she that was weird the way she died? Because every single one of us has had the same information that the documentary went out and we still think that her death is weird. You didn't show us anything that all of a sudden made me change my mind. Exactly. And not only that, too, I just feel like it was so convenient for them to wrap it up the way they did. It was like, no, it's it's nothing to do with the hotel or the curse or the fact that so many people die here or it has to do with the skeevy or or that it was a skeevy part of L.A. or like so many things were eliminated all because of a latch. You're trying to tell me because when somebody said they found it open and somebody, then somebody else said that it was found closed. It was a little too convenient that all of a sudden that was the mistake in your exactly. report. Exactly. And so it just makes me question the whole thing. Because honestly, this was a case, the reason I did it so early is because that was one of those cases that when I first thought of this podcast, that's the one I wanted to cover. So it's just one of those things where I just feel like they put everyone else's research and thoughts and process aside to make it seem like it was a mental health issue when they didn't approach it the entire time as a mental health issue. Right. The whole first part of it, the first two and a half episodes, you're talking about Skid Row and this and and how weird it was that she died. And all of a sudden at the end, you're like, oh, yeah, but she was bipolar, didn't take her meds and the latch was really open. So there she killed herself. Yeah. And it was I, I just didn't like the way they wrapped it up. I would have loved to know that the latch was supposedly open. I think we're on the same page. Like, I'm not going to say that she didn't kill herself, but I'm not going to say there's not a possibility that something overtook her in that time that we were watching right, her Right, like I feel down. like if they had ended it by saying it's looking like, you know, that's probably the most likely cause of death, but we never, you know, there's no way to really and know. And just that. Fine. But the fact that you sat there convincing everyone she killed herself. And one of the things I had pointed out in the original podcast was that they said that there were still trace amounts of her medication in her. So she couldn't have been off of them for exactly, that long. Exactly, where it would make sense. 
Because who goes on vacation to kill themselves? Nobody. No one kills themselves on vacation. And that's what I can't wrap my head around. You wouldn't do it somewhere that you're not comfortable with. Although they did make it seem like it was an accidental drowning because she went into the thing and then she couldn't get out. But I also feel like if you guys checked up there, so either your police work was shoddy or you're just trying to make this a convenient ending. Yeah, the latch was open, but you didn't see it until 20 something days later. I don't understand. But yeah, that's what we have to say about it. Glad we agree, Christy, as usual. So I found a Reddit that's super short and it's from the paranormal thread and it's Sleep P. Demon who wrote this. I'm not crazy. I know the difference between seeing a shadow at the corner of my eye and what I'm seeing. I live with my wife and son in a three bedroom house. Two of the bedrooms are upstairs. We have all heard and seen something odd and creepy. For me, it started with the stairs. I would hear someone walking up the stairs. I would call out who's there. I would go to where I think the sound was coming from and there would not be a living thing. We don't have mice or neighbors. I've seen shadows morphing into different shapes and moving from room to room near the ceiling and the floor. I literally witnessed a blacker than black large cat shaped shadow thing coming from down the hall, then walked up the stairs. Spooky. I wake up with scratches and bruises. Anyone ever heard of this? Please help. I can't sleep. It's getting worse. I can hear people talking to each other downstairs if I'm upstairs. If I'm downstairs, I hear them mumbling to each other. It's only a few words. I'm going to leave a recording device downstairs and let it rip. Dude, your house is haunted. Move. That's my suggestion. Move. Try to cleanse the house. If you can't afford to move. Holy water, a priest, a rosary. Sage the shit out of that place. It is fucking haunted. And if none of that works, then you need to move. And that sounds like a really dark energy because you'll hear like a couple people say noises here and there in their old house or a little bit of mumblings. But like to see figures and shadows and cats, that's never a good sign. We've done this podcast long enough to know if you start to see inanimate objects, that's when you really need to And that seems help. to have escalated really quickly. Normally you hear like it, it's so slow, right? Like you might hear one thing one day and then a couple days later hear another thing and then it'll take months or even years to progress to seeing stuff and hearing voices. That shit progressed very, very quickly. Like it escalated very quickly, which means mm-hmm. it's got a lot of energy energy you need to do something asap especially with a kid in the house for sure you know i've been wanting to cover an ed and lorraine warren case for a really long time like since we started this podcast but their cases are so popular and i wanted to make sure that i found something that wasn't like didn't have a movie made out of it so now that everybody's in quarantine and nothing is shooting, technically, no matter what I talk about, it's not in production. But That's true. I did find a case that I don't know why a movie hasn't been made of, of it. I'm pretty sure eventually there will be a movie on it. Um, and it's about the Donovan family from West Hartford, Connecticut. But I did confirm that this is not the family behind the Haunting in Connecticut movies. Um, if you've seen them, the ones that bombed at the box office, um, yeah. it's not based on that family. So the case starts, like all good haunting cases, with a, te- a stupid teenager named Patty Donovan, who has really strict parents who kind of kept like a really tight leash on her. And so out of boredom, she was forced to play with a Ouija board, like we all do when we're bored. And see, it's so funny that it's always like either the religious family that has the weird teenager or like the the strict family and then they start like dicking around with other things because it's like a form of rebellion for like a teenager Why i guess you should just drink alcohol like the rest of us did but it's interesting that it seems like the darkness 
because they know that a teenager's mind and soul is very, it's very complicated. Like your feelings and your emotions. I know when I was a teenager, I hated people saying this, but looking back, it is true. Like you feel so much things so much harder because things are so intense at the moment. And so you're so vulnerable. So it's interesting that it seems to always like start with this like vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as you guys know, this is on our top five list of things not to do ever. One of these days, I really am going to write a guide to not, like, not, like, nothing happening to you from the eerie Americas. And I promise you that in the top five, we'll be not playing with the Ouija board. She really didn't have a lot of friends, which I understand um, when your parents are super strict and they don't let you do anything. You kind of don't have a lot of friends. And she was really, really lonely, which I also get. You know, you're a teenager. You want to go out and about. Um, So she decided to use the Ouija board. Now, I... Used, there wasn't a lot of articles on this, so I try to take information from everything that I read. And a couple of the articles that I read said that she was trying to communicate with a teenager that in the neighborhood that died. Some articles didn't say that. It just said a friend. But either way, it was a teenager who had died from the neighborhood that she was trying to communicate with. And some articles actually just said that she didn't know the person. So, like, you know, kind of up to your own interpretation. Either way, person said, and she's using a Ouija board, and she's communicating with somebody. So, of course, she starts with the typical questions, you know, is someone there? If you're there, could you hear? Can you hear me? Can you give me a sign? And so at first, she kind of got like these answers that didn't make sense, like, you know, random stuff where you wouldn't think someone was answering. But then her answers kind of started becoming accurate about the future. And it kind of got kind of creepy. It started answering her like all the time. So it really felt like she was communicating with someone to the point that she actually considered the Ouija board her boyfriend. Oh, that got intimate real quick. Right? Like it kind of escalated very quickly to where she was thinking she was in a relationship with whoever was answering her through the Ouija board. That's she really lonely, yo. That, yeah, yeah, I said she was lonely you know, homegirl was. That was lonely, an understatement. She had, she had a, she had a Ouija board boyfriend, spirit boyfriend over here. And you and, know, it's funny. You, know, you hear those people that like never meet people online yet they consider themselves in a relationship, even if they live in different and, cities you know, or I thought countries. The same thing. I'm like, but this I is can't a really whole other level because it's kind of like when someone catfishes you and you never meet the person. But and this you're is a whole other level. Them. Like at least they're alive in that situation. Right. Somebody like, is on the other line communicating with you on a human level. This is not a human to human. This level. person's literally on the other side of life. Wow. So she basically begins this like year long relationship with this spirit. And you know, the spirit did what any good partner would do. It told her she was pretty and prettier than other girls. And she told the spirit boyfriend her secrets and the boyfriend wasn't going to tell anyone. So this was probably the healthiest relationship. How do you know he's not cheating you on some other Ouija board? That's what I right? How do you know he's not going through other Ouija boards when you're not using the Ouija board? <laughs> like, you really don't know. But she, yeah, so she, she talks to him. And then, you know, so this is, oh, by the way, this is in the 70s. So this is around 1974, February 1974. So she starts now asking her boyfriend the future. And, you know, we're really never supposed to know our future. I don't care if it's your spirit boyfriend telling you or someone else telling you. Like, even when I've had readings and stuff, I always am very touchy about how much you tell me about my future. Like, you just shouldn't know. And so spirit boyfriend 
which I, I, he was predicting the demise of their relationship because he gave her the birth date of her first child and told her she would have three kids by 1978, which is in four years with who, who fucking knows. It definitely isn't the spirit unless you're trying to tell us a whole other thing about the afterlife. I've heard of people claiming that they've had sex with ghosts, but certainly not having children with ghosts. That's Right. Which, by the way, spoiler alert, this actually ends up being true. <laughs> she does have three children by 1978. Whoa. So she starts speaking to her little spirit boyfriend, and now it's March 1974, and now she, like, really wants to meet her spirit boyfriend, because who wouldn't? You know, I want, I want to meet who, who I'm talking to. So she kind of tells spirit boyfriend to manifest himself so she can meet him. Now, you ask a spirit to manifest itself, I don't think she quite knew what she was asking for. Like, I don't know, she thought he was going to manifest into this big buff dude that was just going to, like, be beautiful and hang out with you. He manifested himself in a whole different way. The next day on March 3rd, her father, Ted Donovan, tried to start his car and it wouldn't start because the spark plugs were pulled out and the rubber hoses were unfastened and the fan belt was cut. Was cut so which, someone knew what they were doing. Right. Which you don't have to know a lot about cars to know that you need all of those things for cars to run. And so Patty, who's the name of the teenage girl, she, cho- she goes to start her car and she can't either because the internal engine parts of her car were all disassembled. You told him to manifest himself. You didn't tell him how. See, but what's crazy about that is like you, how does it have the power to do all that without anyone hearing any noise? How did no one hear anything? Maybe this year long relationship and, you know, gave him the energy to start fucking with cars. Who knows? We don't know. She had a whole relationship with the spirit. That same week that that happened to both Patty and her father's car, the back doorbell to the house was torn out. Shrubs were ripped up by the roots. What was described in several articles as a six-foot cast iron pipe was bent at a 90-degree angle. Whoa. What kind of subhuman can do that? Wow, no. So then a few days later on March 8th, which is five days after the original car incident, Patty had a flat tire. So she fixes it. As soon as she fixes it, gets another flat. Now, it's not the type of flat like you would get in Brooklyn where, you know, It's just horrible having a car and you like find a nail or a rock or a piece of glass or some shit. A massive hole in the street. Mm -hmm. Um, Her flats look like they were slashed by a knife both times. Her father called the police, but this kind of led to nothing because ghosts or not, you're really not going to catch someone who sliced your tires like randomly. So naturally and logically, because Patty is obviously a very logical person, she decides that she's going to talk to her spirit boyfriend, but every time she tried, the planchette, which is the thing you move on the Ouija board for the answers, just kept saying goodbye. So her ghost boyfriend ghosted her. Ghosted her. <laughs> this is her ghosting started. There we go. Her father and, and her mother actually started questioning her brother Brian about all the vandalism because they heard like noises coming from inside the house and she didn't tell anybody about her spirit boyfriend obviously because that sounds insane so this is something she was doing on her own yeah that's why he called the police they're thinking that someone has been doing this and of course they start hearing noises inside the house and automatically blame her brother they kind of went to investigate they found an 18 inch hole near her brother's room and there was like jagged edges around the hole basically pointing inward, which means it was done from the inside of the house. And then that night, they heard scratching inside the wall, but they couldn't find what was scratching inside the wall. There was, like, no mice. There was no animals. There was no nothing. So this hole was, like, in his bedroom? 
Yeah, it was in his room and it was pointing inward, like if you were to punch a wall. So like whoever did it was in his room and made the hole in the wall. Right. So of course they think it was him. And then they hear the scratching, but they can't find where the scratching was coming from. And so those noises continued on for at least a week. And at that point, Patty had gotten three more flat tires on her car and had to keep buying new tires, which you know is super fucking expensive. It really is. She decided to try parking her car in like a locked garage and her tire was still slashed the next morning. Whoa, no way. Yeah. So by the third week of all of this, they start hearing what sounded like boards being ripped off of the wall. So the activity in the house is now increasing and Patty still doesn't say anything about having a ghost boyfriend that's not talking to her or asking the fact that she asked a fucking spirit to manifest itself. I don't think she's thinking that he would do any harm after a year. Like she's not thinking that way. Right. I think that she's not correlating the two. So now remember this all started at the beginning of March. We are now on March 20th. So we're like on the third week of this. The pressure valves on the radiators were unscrewed. So we're from the city where this is how our radiators are. So basically, if that pressure valve is off and your heat goes on, the steam is going to come out of it and destroy everything in there. And it ha- and I know this because we just remember we moved in July and they had someone came to check our heat because our heat was working when the winter started. And the person did not screw the valve all the way. So when a friend came to check it, he was like, It's a good thing your heat wasn't working. If your heat had come on and this valve was like this, it would have destroyed everything in your apartment with the pressure. So it's a pretty dangerous thing to have the pressure valves unscrewed off of your heater. And it's kind of a pretty evil thing to do if you think about it, because there's literally nothing you can do once that pressure starts, unless you're strong enough to put the valve on while this 100 pounds of pressure is going on. And it's hot. So it'll burn you. It'll burn your skin off. So the father, Ted, is the one who finds it, and he kind of just screws it back on, but he keeps seeing that it's unscrewed. Like, it keeps happening that he screws it back on, and it unscrews. Then then a few hours later, the next day, like, it keeps unscrewing. Then the banging that was happening from what sounded like inside the walls was becoming more and more frequent. He actually one day decided to spend the entire day looking to see what could be causing all of this. And he couldn't find anything because, again, there's nothing inside the walls and there's no logical explanation why radiators valves are unscrewing. Yeah, and especially given it's not winter. I mean, it is the end of winter, but it it shouldn't be like to the point where someone should be trying to turn it on that high where it would be that kind of pressure for some reason. Weird. And so they start hearing pounding around the furnace also. So he actually calls someone to come check out the furnace. I didn't say it out loud, but when the scratching, they said that was going on for a week, I would have called an exterminator. I'd have been like, at least eliminate the possibility of there being mice in the walls. I would you know, have like, to. I don't understand why you just like accept that noise for a week. It would have drive me crazy. I couldn't handle it. Well, he finally finds someone for the furnace at least. And I read this in the articles and I literally wrote this. It said after 19 hours, he said it was in the furnace. And I have written down, why the fuck did it take 19 hours to determine this? Talk about OT. Dude, we try to eliminate every possible explanation. I'm sure. And uh, when you, it's funny because like this reminds me of somebody that I called once. There was an electrician for a job that I was doing and they couldn't find the source of the problem. And the guy got super 
into it so much so that I only paid him the hour and he still stayed an additional 20 minutes just trying to yeah, figure they it wanna, out. Because they don't want you calling back to have them come back because then they get in trouble for that. So they're like, we need to do it. If they're really into their job, they want to know their explanation they, they too. Wanna, yeah, they don't want to be the ones that couldn't find what the issue mm-hmm. was. Plus with things like furnaces, those things can blow up. So if something happens yep. and they find out that he didn't do his job, he's liable for totally. it. So then they also call a plumber to come in and change the pressure valves. They just completely put new ones in. Because you could think about it, maybe they're rusty, maybe they're old, and they're not screwing in all the way, and whatever, you know, you try to think of a logical reason. But even after doing that, Ted immediately found them unscrewed and back on the floor. Oh, hell no. Mm-mm. Now they have a problem, because Ted, Patty's tires also continue to be slashed. So now we're on March 31st. Patty has another slash tire, which at this point, the total was six slash tires in that month. Um, about 10 p.m. on the night of March 31st, the family was watching TV. Um, it says the Donovan, so it could just be the mother and the father were watching TV in their bedroom, which was supposedly the quietest room in the house. And the lights went off three times, and then the TV went off. And you know, threes are like evil. You know, once you see something in threes, it's evil. It's not good. So they the lights go off three times, and then the TV shuts off. Then they had uh, they had a dresser in their room that was described as about 250 pounds, and it says six feet long, which is a huge fucking dresser. That's huge. And according to them, it levitated off the floor and started twisting back and forth. Then it just sat down on the floor, and then all the drawers started opening and closing. That's a poltergeist right there. Then a chair... Which, like the rest of us, if you have a chair in your room, it's loaded with clothes. Um, that also levitated and dumped all of the clothes on the floor. Because I guess the ghost doesn't want you to put your clothes on the chair either. And then there were pictures on the wall and they kind of got lifted up off of their hooks and like floated around in a circle around the room. Which at this point I would have been just literally, I would have jumped out a window if yeah. anything out mm-hmm. of that house. No way. Later, because apparently that wasn't enough for them to leave... Later, they heard a kitten, which then turned into a baby. Like, it started sounding like a kitten, and then it sounded like a baby, but they didn't even bother checking that shit out. I don't blame them, because I'm not trying to find a demonic kitty demon child outside. (laughs) And then, so that's not even all of it. They heard pounding on the roof, all types of noises going on, like, right outside the house also. And then on April 1st, April Fool's Day, it rained rocks on the house. Like literally, that is the best prank ever, isn't it? Is it from the spirit? Apparently, (laughs) Um, the rocks fell for an hour and was actually witnessed by police, who then told them, "You need to call a priest." You know it's bad when the cops refer you to go to the church. You know that's bad. And apparently, like during the day, there was no, there was really no activity um, because several articles said that after sundown is when things would happen. Things would just fall to the floor. Things would slam against walls. They would be, like, hurled across rooms, like, at people. It wasn't just the police that told them to call a priest. You know how I said that the father took, like, a whole day to figure out where everything was missing work, trying to figure out the fuck was going on in his house. And he actually had to tell his boss. And his boss was like, yeah, you need to call somebody. And he was actually given the names of Ed and Lorraine Warren by his supervisor once he told this once he told his supervisor what the hell was going on in the house. They he did he they still didn't call Ed and Lorraine right away. Or the priest. 
I mean, at this point, you're out of solutions. What else are you going to do? Well, I did see one article that said that he did call police, uh, a priest right after he spoke to the cops and that when the priest came, the activity stopped. So then that was it. But he, at this point, already had Ed and Lorraine's information, but didn't call them yet. Okay, so he did make an attempt to have he a priest He made an there. attempt, but, like, the spirit knew better. So, so I, he, I can't find from who told him this, but someone told him to get, like, religious stuff. Like, you know, like, I guess he thought because of the priest coming in. So, like, crosses and, like, religious statues and saints and stuff like that. He thought that that might stop the activity. So he got a statue of St. Anne. And the minute that he unwrapped it, he heard a noise and found that there was furniture in one of the rooms levitating. There was laundry soap spilling all over the floor. And when he went back upstairs to where he was unwrapping the statue, the statue was gone and he found it next to the toilet. Whoa. So instead of like making the activity stop, I think it just kind of made it worse. Right. Um, And he said that he also found like obscenities, quote unquote, written on uh, the brother's door. And so at that point, he flies into a rage. He's pissed off and he's like flying off the handle. He only stopped because his son started crying and was like, can you please calm down? And nobody could sleep at this point because all of the activity was happening at night. And so they finally they finally left the house to go stay in a hotel. But the activity followed them to the hotel. What? I've never heard of that happening. They literally couldn't escape. The lights were switching on and off. They were this pounding on the walls. The difference is in a hotel, you have people right next to you. So the people started complaining. And so they had to go back home. They got kicked out of the hotel because of the poltergeist. They got kicked out of the hotel after a couple of nights because they people kept complaining. I mean, they were saying that the kids were banging, so they had to go back home. So on April 6th, they're back home. And when they get back home, their house is destroyed. The rugs were drenched and spilled with food. Beds were spilled food. There was liquids and fluids and shoe polish. This sounds like it has to be more than one poltergeist because how can you... Do so much damage and then also be at the hotel. Just because you were speaking to one ghost on a Ouija board doesn't mean that that's all that came out. So she had a year of activity on that Ouija board. Once she said manifest yourself, you don't know who you were asking to manifest itself. Everything's destroyed. There were towels stuffed in the toilet. Furniture was knocked over. Stuff was scribbled on the walls. It took a really long time to clean. And then the next day was April 7th, which happened to be Palm Sunday. And they had family over, which I would not fucking go to your house if you told me that this shit was going on. I don't even know if they told anyone because some people like this don't like to like try to keep it under wraps because it's like, who's going to believe me? Or worse, like you said, they're going to be scared. So Well, apparently their family member knew what was going on, came over, and for some reason the activity stopped for a little bit while they were over. But... That was only for like a little while. Maybe it's because it was during the day. Maybe because it was a holiday. Maybe because a new person was in the house. But for some reason, the activity did slow down for a little bit. When the family member, which was Ted's brother, Phil, started showing some pictures from like a recent vacation that he was taking, the vacation included some pictures from a roadside attraction from something called Holy Land. And so oh, when yeah. The slide, I know where that is. So That's when a- the slide came up depicting like religious just figures that's when the activity started again so it looks like anything really like it's obviously demonic because anything religious is causing activity pisses it off right exactly so the next day ted went to a monastery that bordered his property which if you had a monastery right fucking there why wouldn't you go 
But he explained what was going on because I guess it's, it's a monastery and a monk and it's not really priest, but still I would have right. fucking, I would have Some form asked. of, like, right, some kind of religious help would be at this and rate so he, I would be looking he for. And so he told one of the monks what was going on and the monk agrees to come to the house, which I don't know that I would have. And the monk was like, all right, you're, you've totally got a demonic spirit in here. And um, he also gave them Ed and Lorraine's information. So this is the second person yeah, to tell them about person, this person. Supervisor and a monk. And so finally he calls the Warrens, but was told that they were all the way on the other side of the country out west and they wouldn't be back for five days. So they had to endure another five days of activity. And during the five days, raining rocks, crucifixes turned upside down, saints were being, like the pictures of saints were being torn up, the statue that he got of St. Anne was constantly moving and stuff like that. There was a picture of Jesus on the wall and spirits were throwing stuff against the picture. Refrigerator was being moved. They were hearing moans that looked like they, they sounded like they were coming from hell. Um, the funny part is that at one point Ted found his anvil, which I didn't know anybody could actually own an anvil outside yeah. of the Roadrunner. And like, and what, and my, it's funny you mentioned that too, because I had thought about that recently for some reason. And I was like, what happened to those? So you don't see them anymore. Like who owns an anvil? You don't see them even being used what anywhere, happened let to alone in someone. Yeah, happened? where are all the anvils? He finds it like in a deep freezer, like it was moved. Like I'm what? telling you, this fucking spirit was. And those things everything. are heavy. That's yeah. so weird. And so now he felt like there was like a physical, physicality to this presence for it to like start moving something that heavy. You think? I would have thought that when the dresser, when the first dresser happened. And at this point, his wife Ellen started seeing a black mass standing behind her and now at this point they're desperate and they're like our only chance is Ed and Lorraine Warren they can't leave obviously because the spirit followed them um so finally the Warrens get in touch with them um they speak to Ted Ted tells them everything and so at first Lorraine actually thought that they were like exaggerating or like letting their imaginations go a little while because you know that at this point and you know people do do stupid shit for publicity so they're, Lorraine really thought that they were just kind of like letting the story get away from them for a little bit. And not just that too, she also must be used to hearing so many stories that like she might just be like having to doubt stories until she sees it herself because right. she's probably overloaded with all these people already Plus, reaching out to them. You know, once you think that you're haunted, things sent to, and then you things happen and sometimes you start equating everything to the haunting and that's not always true. You know, you could be experiencing something but not everything happening is necessarily that so it's hard to tell the difference so i'm sure that that's also what she thought but after speaking to him she basically was like okay you know i'll we'll be there we'll be there tomorrow so the warrens get there and they actually found like the rocks that were raining on the house all over the floor of the yard so they knew something was going on besides that had actually been witnessed by a cop so if anything they could like literally just speak to the cop then they go inside and they kind of start seeing all the damage. And Lorraine, you know, Lorraine felt things. And the minute she walked in, she kind of felt the presence of so many entities, it said. The, I'm going to read you exactly what the article said. The article said, quote, Lorraine sensed the presence of entities so numerous and malevolent that she had to fight not to leave. Lorraine Warren had to fight not to leave the house. Yeah, she was afraid of all the activity. And that's what I was thinking. I'm like, there's got to be more than one if there's so... Oh, yeah. There were so many. She, I don't think Patty knew, but she she opened up a fucking can of worms here. Ted starts taking 
them through the house, telling them about all these incidents everywhere. I mean, you have there's dozens upon dozens of incidents happening. This has been happening since February. So after the tour is finally over, Ed starts conducting his interview. If you've seen any of the movies, you know that Ed conducted the interviews. They ask the typical questions, which I wrote some I wrote them down because I thought it was it, it was relevant. They always asked what may have caused it when it first began. Is anyone seeing a psychiatrist? Did they purchase any antique furniture? Or has anyone used a Ouija board? Ding, ding. That's the one. But when they ask this question is when Patty finally says yes. Which I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad she was honest. So they asked Patty if the spirit had uh, told her his name. Which apparently this whole time spirit boyfriend never gave her his name. How are you going to call him your boyfriend? You don't even know his name. She had a spirit boyfriend for a whole year. Didn't know his name. At this point, the the Warrens agree that something kind of needs to be done. And they kind of, I guess, start talking exorcism. But it's very hard to get an exorcism approved by the Catholic Church, especially at this point, because now they're famous for it. So now there's even more skepticism behind it. Ed Warren calls up Father Jason and somehow gets him to come. He arrives right after sunset, which we know after sunset is when the activity kind of starts. Often they provoke the spirits to kind of get the activity started to to because they have to collect data, they have to collect it for the they Catholic have, church. They need evidence for the church. Right. So, so mm-hmm. he starts. Ed starts provoking it. Uh, starts. He does this thing where he uh, pounds on the wall twice and then wants to see if he gets any responses. So he pounds on the wall twice and then gets two pounds in response. And then he does it four times and he receives four taps in response. So obviously it's an intelligent. Uh, entity because it's responding um then he asked father jason to bless each room so that kind of is supposed to like lessen the the power at least of the of of the entity and then the warrens were supposed to leave for maine that night because you know they are investigating other cases and they asked father jason to stay with the donovan during the activity continues as usual now we're we're around the, we're also around a religious holiday. We just had Palm Sunday, which means that Easter's coming up. So that Wednesday of Easter, the presence really amps itself up, kind of to just really defy the whole holiday in general. And having a priest nearby now at this point, right? So now Father Jason being there, at one point asked if he asked for a glass of water, if he asked for a pencil, the things would just float to him. So like it was really trying to show off. Um, sometimes he didn't even say what he wanted out loud and it would come to him. That's creepy. I wouldn't even accept it. I would not accept shit from the spirit. Uh, that night, which is Easter, no one could sleep. And then the next day, the warrants finally return and they the father is visibly shaken, like traumatized. So he leaves and then the warrants decide to stay. They get the screaming, the pounding, the ripping sounds. And Ed actually questioned if the home would be able to even handle an exorcism because an exorcism right. is literally like an attack on whatever is doing this in the house he thought that the house might actually end up falling in on itself but they kind of have to do it so that night the family also had like an ultra black mass materialize in their room the double bed levitated with three of the donovan family sitting on it dresser rolled across the room towards ed after he challenged the entity Brian was levitated off the bed and thrown five feet into the wall. And so Ed is like, I don't know how much more this could, you know, the, the house can handle. So he starts challenging it again. Again, it caused the bed with three of the Donovans on it to levitate. 
at the same time, Lorraine is with Brian and he was flung against the wall again. Now they're like, okay, again, remember, this is not the exorcism yet. This is them just trying to collect the evidence for the church or just to see if they really needed an exorcism. Obviously, they needed an exorcism. I would think at that point, like Father, uh, what is his name? Jeff? Jason. Jason. Father Jason would be like, okay, yeah, no, you don't even have to stay here. Like, this is worthy of an exorcism. You would think that yeah, would be so enough as it was. After all of this, in combination with the interviews, they go to get the permission for the exorcism. But like I said, because like I said, the exorcism movie has re- had recently been released. So the church was really not trying to approve exorcisms because everybody was trying to get one at that time. They were able to get it because Ed had interviewed Ted first because he had been the most affected. Basically, with all of the personality interviews and all of the data, it was obvious that that's what the house needed. Yeah. During the personality interviews, Ted couldn't handle the idea of something demonic being in his home. Like, he couldn't take the idea that that was what was happening. So he was a little bit in denial. The mother said she... But the mother kind of questioned why God would let it happen, which happens a lot with religious people. Right. Brian they said was like a kind of tough read. They couldn't really get his emotions on it. They thought he would actually need counseling though because of the trauma from from everything. Yeah, and he's a teenager too still, right? Right. And then Patty was the one with the most range of emotion. She went from emotional to hostile to indifferent to lashing out. Ed actually thought, okay, if this continues, she is going to be the one that's possessed. Because she's the one with the most emotions that is more vulnerable. And she opened the door for them. So, of course, they're going to be more drawn to her. So they thought, now's the time to do it. So they perform an exorcism. They actually had a cameraman there that that had recorded the exorcism. He got hit by a flying object and fucking ran out of the house and never came back. So the footage is lost. Whoa. Dude didn't even stay. Wow. Did not even stay. You have to think this is not his first rodeo either. And the fact that he was like, nope, and just fucking left, like that was enough to scare the shit out of him. After the exorcism was done on the house, all activity stopped. That was it. That's insane. And that is a story of the Donovan family, which I don't know. I feel like they may have not, they didn't do the story on the Donovan family, but I feel a lot of conjuring vibes. Even though the conjuring was from a different family, the Perones were another family that they investigated. I feel like they may have thrown some of the activity from the Donovan family into that movie because you saw some of that there. Totally. With the exception of, like, the Ouija board. But, um, yeah, that was the Donovan And it family. makes sense, given that the Warrens were involved in the case, there would be similar things that would be needed for an exorcism. So it totally makes sense. But that's wild anyway. I can't believe that there's no footage of it. Because they were famous for, like, collecting that stuff. So, wild. Yeah. And I didn't... I know that they collected, like, uh, things from the house and put it in, like, their haunted museum. I couldn't find if they collected anything from the Donovan house and put it in their museum. Because I don't think this came from an object except for the Ouija board. So maybe they took the Ouija board, but I didn't find anything in the articles that said that they actually took it. But I'm going to assume that they did because they normally didn't leave that in the house for it to happen again. They would take it, bless it, and keep it safe in their museum. So Yeah. Well, hopefully when things get back to normal, we can go to the museum and see for ourselves. I am dying too. I am dying to go Mm -hmm. there. Like I want to go there so, so, so bad. I want to go anywhere so, so bad. Honestly, yeah. I'd like to go anywhere that's, like, further than um, the park across the street from me. <laughs> or the CVS that's down the block. Like, that's Seriously. that's my walk right there. I go to the CVS and I'm just like, ooh, I'm far. 
Oh, man. But great case. That was awesome. Who does that? 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 Via foxnews.com. Tennessee man leaves $5 million to dog in his will. Oh, come on. That's like that lady who left all her money to her fucking dog. Late man's friend to care for dog with ample trust set up by will. Being a man's best friend has paid off for this dog. When Tennessee businessman Bill Doris died late last year, the 84-year-old left $5 million to his 8-year-old border collie Lulu. My cat is 9 years old. I love him to death. There is no way in hell in the next... Hopefully 10 years of his life, if I had $5 million, would I be able to spend $5 million on him? It's impossible. I couldn't even try to spend $5 million on Lena. I don't even know if I could spend $5 million on myself, let alone my dog. Doris's friend, Martha Burton, had already been watching Lulu for him for several years by the time he passed away, according to the report. Right off the bat, I was mad about that. I'm like, wait a minute. He wasn't even your dog then? Mm No, no. So apparently, I don't know if he got sicker and just gave the dog over, but his friend Martha has been watching it. Why would you not leave Martha the $5 million? I'm sure she would spend it on the, some of it on the dog because she's taking care of him anyway. But why not leave Martha the money? Or leave 500000 for him specifically. You couldn't then, just leave her a mill or something? Like something. Doris frequently traveled and wanted someone to take care of her while he was away. WTVF in Nashville reported. Quote, I don't really know what to think about it, to tell you the truth, Burton told WTVF. He just really loved the dog. Lulu is, quote, a good girl, Burton told the TV station. The will specifies that the $5 million is to be placed in the trust to provide for Lulu's care and that the dog should remain with Burton, according to the report. Burton is to be reimbursed for normal monthly expenses as approved by a conservator managing the trust. What the fuck? So what happens when they inevitably don't use $5 million for this fucking dog? Why? Why would you not just leave it to the person who's been caring for your dog that you love so much that you left that much money? I don't understand the logic here, people. Help me out if you're rich, because I don't understand the way rich people think. I, I, you know what it is? We're not rich, so we don't think <laughs> like they do. Maybe this is normal in rich, rich people's minds. I don't Maybe. fucking know. Yeah, but just because Lulu the dog is now a millionaire, that doesn't mean Burton will be buying lavishing gifts or any expensive treats, as it likely won't be possible to spend all the money caring for one dog. Well, I'd like to try, Burton joked to the WTVF. It's actually more common than many than many people may expect for pet owners to leave money for their furry friends after dying. Hotelier and noted tax fraudster Leona Hemsley, which is the lady you mentioned, left $12 million to her dogs after she died in 2007. Businesswoman Mariel Siebert left $100,000 to her chihuahua named Monster Girl. And actress Lauren Bacall left $10,000 for her dog. $10,000, I understand. Even $500,000, I can understand. Not $5 million. $12 million, $5 million, $5 million don't make million sense. $5 million? Come You're on, telling dude. me you couldn't find another human on this planet to give millions of dollars to. Or a charity you care about. Just give about. it right or, to the charity. It's seriously mind-boggling. So if you're fancy out there and you, you understand how this works, then let Rich us know. Rich people, please, help us get into your minds. <laughs> I don't understand Because I don't understand. <laughs> I love Lena, but I'm not leaving her $5 million. If I was Martha, I would be like, You're, you gave me the challenge of spending $5 million. I'm going to fucking spend $5 million. And I'd find the way. Go buy that dog a $5 million Go house. buy a giant dog, like a dog house that fits in your backyard, big enough for it to convert into a second house when that, go- when that dog dies. Boom. Just buy a whole other house and say it's for the dog and then just live there. There you go. Fine. There's your $5 million. Fuck you. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, leave us a killer review. And most importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Five million dollars.